We who are about to die salute you. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Chris and Chris here with Murray Turry Mondays, Episode 9, where we're going to look at Strike Force Murray Turry, number 9 of all issues. How about that? All right. <laughs> How are you doing today? Sir, I have my ski shined up, and I have a stick of juicy fruit. That taste the taste is, is going to move me, sir. I'm ready <laughs> for Moratory Mondays, Episode 9. We made it, Chris. We did. We're almost in the double digits, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, barring uh, being hit by a lightning or a bus, we will get there next week. So that's a that's a very good thing for the two of us here. Uh, you know, before we get into the issue, we did get a little bit of feedback. Uh, you want to start hitting up some of that? Uh, sure, we that, did. Uh, so, juicy feedback. So good old uh, Jesse from the Source Material Comics podcast, he was uh, referring to a little thing that uh, we've noticed throughout these comics that. He he said in his comment he said what if the horde could only attack as long they were be, as long as they were behind a door now that's <laughs> one that's one of the funny things about the entire book is that no matter where our heroes go there is always a horde a horde trooper somewhere extremely close behind I mean these people yep. get no time to breathe when they enter that battlefield there is always and, yeah and every time they open a door they. <laughs> There's a ton of <laughs> horde soldiers there waiting for them. So uh, we posited that there might be, uh, you know, the true brains behind the horde might be uh, good old Monty Hall from Let's Make a Deal because he was always <laughs> opening doors. And uh, wouldn't it have been great if uh, someone asked for door number three and they opened it up and it's all these uh, testicle chinned hordesmen <laughs> instead oh, of like no. a goat, you know? That'd that be, would uh, be an be... amazing way for the invasion to begin right on a game show. <laughs> You see, you know, people say that this should be a TV show, and that's the way you launch it. You just go, you know, you, you, you zig instead of zag. You, they, people think it's a new game show, and uh, bada bing, bada boom. All of a sudden, everyone in the studio has been murderized by the horde. So uh, that's the way to start actually, a show. Actually, that, what a great way. I mean, you got to dress up in costumes. It's basically a cosplay show. Let's make a deal. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool to go as the Black Watch? <laughs> that would be amazing. There you go. <laughs> Looks like uh, Joe C., Mr. Joe Cabrera, one of our um, one of our certificate members, he wrote in as well. Uh, he's actually making fun of the name of the brand new recruits, the three lady or three uh, folks that were introduced uh, in the past couple of issues. And he said, "I mean, did they actually say in the comic they get to pick out those awful names for each other, or was or was one chosen first and the other in retaliation?" So he's talking <laughs> he's talking about. Um, Scaredy Cat Scaredy and Cat. Scatterbrain. Yes. Now, both of those names, I will say that um, clearly there was not a heck of a lot of thought gone into that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we, I actually displayed a panel over on Twitter, which mm -hmm. actually says, yeah, basically that they, they did just that. So the, the other name was actually chosen in retaliation. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> and, and it shows. It does. It does indeed. And uh, you got uh, you got some comments from uh, Jeremiah, our good friend. Uh, oh yeah. And he's uh, he's part of the uh, he's part of the crew now as well. 
and we'll get into that in just a second, but good old J.J. Goldstein, he says, I can't say there's anything I dislike. He's talking about uh, the show itself. He said, the banter between the two of you was fun and enjoyable. The issue synopsis is a good analysis. I like when there's a Marvel bulletin column in the issue, and when you discuss it, it's nice to hear what else was going on in the Marvel Universe when this series was coming out. I have to agree. Now, the the bullpen bulletins are uh, few and far between in this thing, Chris, but uh, it, it's good It's good when we see them. Uh, he also says, I imagine once you get later into the run, it will mean a little bit more, because if my math is correct, the series will be wrapping up uh, late 80s just as Speculator Bubble is about to build. So McFarlane and the Image Gang... We'll be hitting all the high points of the Marvel careers, etc. He said, hearing about where the series fits in the larger world is really cool. The show format is solid. I'd stick with it as long as you're both comfortable enough. Beautiful. Beautiful. He, 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 did, he did add another layer. He said, one thing. This is one one criticism. Stop talking about delicious Canadian candy that we can't get here <laughs> in the States. It's funny you mentioned that, JJ. So, uh, Jeremiah, we actually have a little bit later, somewhere within the show, and we're not going to tell you where. Can't be at the beginning. Will it be at the end? We don't know. You'll have to listen. But we are actually going to break down. We're going to solve the riddle of Smarties versus M&Ms in this show. So, Chris... Mm -hmm. I'll just finish his comment for a second. You tell him exactly what you actually found and how we're going to actually do this a little bit in a second. He said, just kidding. It's a real thing for candy, and I always look for new and fun things when I travel. I've got an addiction to hard candy, sour balls, boiled candy, and I've even brought all kinds of neat things home from Europe and other places I've been. My favorite thing to look for in Canada when I'm close to the border is Humpty Dumpty ketchup and dill pickle chips, two of my favorite chips. So mm. Humpty Dumpty is a Canadian brand of chips, and they have some <laughs> weird and crazy flavors. But I, <laughs> I recommend it to them to try Humpty Dumpty cheese sticks. So if you get if you're over the border and in Canada, check out Humpty Dumpty. Ask for Humpty Dumpty cheese sticks and tell them Hero sent you. There you go. So what now, are Humpty Dumpty cheese sticks? What are they? Are they like Cheetos? No. So Cheetos would be a crunchy. Uh, like a you know, cheese a curl. Yeah. Or a, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so these are puffs. These would be considered cheese puffs. They're they're like in the shape okay. of like a, you know, just a curved little little puff. Okay. But they like are, a they loop, are yeah. yeah, they are delicious. That's okay. what that's what I'll leave it to you. But I'll I'll leave that to our listeners. Why don't you tell them exactly what you found in a little side store the other day? Let's see if I, I don't know if you can hear this, but uh, I can taste them already. That's that's Smarties, and uh, I found them here in the United States of America. My God, I went cross borders. Uh, they did. I went to a uh, small candy shop in uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona. Here, about a about a forty five minute drive, but uh, I smelled Smarties in the air, and I had to go after them. And uh, I got there, and uh, the lady's like, "Hey, can I help you?" I'm like, "I don't know. I hope so. I'm looking for this uh, Canadian or European candy." And she knew exactly what I was talking about. And she pointed right to the back of the store. She's like, oh, right over there. And I'm like, oh, really? Is this? Could this really be? And I go over there and I sent a picture out on Twitter. There were about 100 rolls of Smarties there. <laughs> and uh, I, I was, uh, I, you could have knocked me over with a feather. So I grabbed them and I went up to the register and she goes, she goes, they're so much better than M&Ms, aren't they? I said, I hope so. And I'm about to find out because <laughs> I have never had these before. I've never seen these before. And uh, now I've got two rolls in my uh in my sticky fingers and uh i mean i bought these uh, about a week ago and they've been sitting taunting me because i didn't want to open them up until we were recording because i wanted my first reaction to be the real reaction 
Oh, I can't wait myself. I'm super excited <laughs> to uh, to prove Eminem's wrong and to finally vindicate <laughs> myself and vilify myself for for bragging up Smarties all these all these nine podcasts. So there's a lot on the line here. My my Canadian candy cred is on the line. So I can't wait to dig in. It's true. And uh, we do have another piece of feedback here from uh, a, another good friend of the show, Jody. Jody Yarden. He says, uh, I'm really enjoying Moritori Mondays. I've never read it, but I'm hoping to, to with Marvel Unlimited. And I find your reviews easy to follow, which is something that we've talked about. We don't we didn't know how how easy it would be to follow for someone who'd never read the stories. And uh, so I wrote back to him and I said, I, you know, we were a little concerned that. You know, this might be a little too far off the beaten path to follow. And, and just the way that we talk about it, and we, we, you know, we go into the weeds every now and again, and we just want to make sure that we are telling this story as uh, as linearly as possible and uh, as easy to follow as possible. And Jody assures us that uh, we are. So that's a, a very good thing. He's uh, enjoying, he's following, and he'll be uh, hopping on Marvel Unlimited to, uh, to catch up. So that's a, that's a real cool thing. That is awesome. Actually, uh, yeah, I was actually wondering about that myself. I mean, I, I think we feel that we're reasonably easy to follow, but when you're talking mm-hmm. about characters that many people in the general public have never, never heard of, seen. Yeah. <laughs> these are just multiple names in the weeds, and it's not like saying, you know, Captain America did this or Spider-Man did this. You you, you know, those are instantly recognizable names, but when you're talking about William the Douchebag... <laughs> and Big you know, Robert. You, yeah, and Big Robert. <laughs> you just don't know if people could follow along with who these people are. So we'll try our best. Thank you, folks, for the feedback. It really, really means a lot to me and Chris. I know that for certain. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you've got a, an update on the recruits here, the next chapter of their story. Oh, yes. So if you're not aware, we have a little certificate program where you, too, our wonderful, faithful listeners, can sign up. So all you have to do is DM myself, Chris Bailey, at Charlton underscore hero, or where are you at, Mr. Mr. Sheehan? I am at Ace Comics, or, or both of us would probably yeah. be cool, too. Yeah, you could actually DM both of us, and uh, we will get you straightened away. So we actually sign you up for a certificate program. You actually become part of our show, and you hear your ongoing uh, antics and storylines. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> they get to play out right here on Moratory Monday. So there you go. Now, let's jump in and talk about our other... Uh, recruits that we have in the field. When we lost our, when we last saw our recruits, we have Lockshot and Forcefield. They were spending the night in Moratory Jail. Now you might ask why. Well, in the past, they accidentally or intentionally, depending on your point of view, destroyed the uh, part of the Moratory Headquarters training room slash danger room called the Garden. They actually had to bash out a wall to save one of their fellow recruits, Med, who was entangled mm-hmm. certain death in the Garden. So, uh, you know, he was caught up in a in a large death vine. So Med was one of the first victims. He lost his arm in the training simulator. Now he's resting in his hospital room and regenerating his limb because that's his powers. He actually healed himself when suddenly he heard the alarm. And this is where we left off. So horde invaders have attacked Moratory headquarters. But on the security cam, Med looks on looks at the jail area. Now, that's where good old Lockshot and Forcefield are holed up for, uh, you know, destroying part of the headquarters. And uh, he sees that the jail area was destroyed by horde fire. Now, he's afraid for, you know, the, for the safety of his recruits. So he leaps out of his bed and, you know, with his bad regrowing arm and all. <laughs> I, I picture it like a baby arm. That's how I'm picturing this right now. Yes. He's regrowing that thing. <laughs> but uh, when he gets to the doorway, he meets 
a brand new recruit. He meets Dreamscape. Mm. Now you might wonder who this guy is and what his powers is. So Horde Fire is coming in at all angles, and Med's uh, med- uh, medical facility room is being impacted. The Horde are going everywhere in the hallways, just running down this place. Dreamscape reaches out, grabbing Med. Now he pulls him into a self-created interdimensional portal. So he actually dodges the Horde invasion by yanking him into a portal and disappearing out of nowhere. Now, back in our jail area, is looking pretty grim, so there's an onlooker, and he's overseeing the carnage, so he sees the bodies lying in front of him. The bodies include, unfortunately, our new recruits, Lockshot and Forcefield, and they're lifeless in the debris. Now, this new recruit, he actually begins to vibrate. He actually vibrates so much that he causes a roll back in time, and he goes back just seconds before the horde blast can even hit the jail. Now, when he's back in time, he actually rushes the cell. And he tells both men who are relaxing on their beds at that point um, that a horde invasion is coming. So newcomer Flashback, that's his name, by the way. He's our new recruit. He yells at Forcefield to cover them both. So Forcefield immediately covers both of them with only milliseconds left before a bomb hits in a Forcefield, protecting them both. Now, suddenly his vibratory plane stops, and we're back in real time. Both men are covered in a protective shield and very much alive. So this Flashback character... Actually surprised his new <laughs> – he surprised himself with his newly rendered powers <laughs> because he's barely at any time in battle or training. So, you know, this sort of came on out of nowhere. He surprised himself. Now, all three men gather their senses. He breaks them out of jail, and they scramble to safety as they ponder their next move. Now, they evade fire everywhere they go, and they break into just a just a side door, which ends up being a laboratory. Now, this place is dark. So Lockshot, who has eye beams, you know, he produces a little light beam enough to illuminate the room so he, you know, so they can see where they're going, actually. When they uncover the large room, they see that it's filled with horde and human bodies in large containment experiment tubes to their mm. shock. They actually sit in stunned silence wondering how, you know, these beings are, are locked <laughs> in this facility. So for some reason, inside Moratory Headquarters, seems to be some experimentation going on when it comes to horde and humans hmm. Hmm. now on the other side of the portal we actually catch up with med and new recruit dreamscape they emerge outside of the other portal now the trick with dreamscape's powers is that he can randomly appear anywhere in, in another dimension or plane of existence wherever he lands anyway for story's sake he lands right at the time of the horde attack when we get to meet the original moratory members the black watch so they actually go back in time and they are right in the exact time when the original black watch is attacking the horde so this is a video that they've watched over and over all the training sessions have reported (laughs) back to the black watch harold had a comic in issue number one which talked all about the black watch and this invasion this whole series is based around this particular attack (laughs) so they are right in the middle of it and uh you know Dreamscape, you know, he's working on getting the portal back and getting their own time. Now, Med, he's just fascinated by all this because he's seen all these videos. He looks up and he sees the original Black Watch, his heroes, passing overhead. Now, I mean, he's just starstruck. However, he noticed that there's something a little different. On further inspection, these are not the original Black Watch, although they're wearing some familiar, you know, moratory costumes. Similar in the videos, except this time they're wearing red, almost Soviet costumes. Now, mm. keep in mind, this is this is back in 86, so, I mean, you still have some cold, you know, cold war leftovers happening there. 
So, you know, we have a red team. This is a very different black watch, or you might even call them the red watch. Now, as the red watch engages the horde ship, instead of, you know, the the glory video that we saw, you know, the propaganda video that this entire book is based on, where, you know, the black watch just inst- instantly destroys the horde army, these guys are decimated immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so only one member, his body is flung directly in front of Dreamscape and Med before they could reenter the portal. And the man looks mortally wounded, and he's at Med's feet as they're entering the portal. Med stops for a second, and he immediately goes goes to work with his healing powers, trying to bring this unknown hero in red back to life. Now, with the horde ships quickly surrounding the area, the men make the decision to, you know, leave the historical battlefield and take the Black Watch member with them. Mm. Next week, answers. There you go. Three new members, and... and narrowly escaping death and plus a new member which is unnamed Mm -hmm. as of yet and we will find out that next week there you go Mm -hmm. heroes that's your update tell (laughs) us about strike force moratory nine chris what are we looking at yes this is a comic book and it has a uh, cover date of august 1987 the story is called the undiscovered country dot 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 written by star trek no, no, it's not. Uh, now, this is written by Peter B. Gillis, with pencils by Brent Anderson, inks by Scott Williams, letters by Phil Felix, uh, colors by Max Scheel, edits Carl Potts, chief Jim Shooter, 75 cents USD, 95 cents Canadian, 40p UK, and this bugger went on sale April 28th, 1987. And, and we usually start with, like, the solicit. But the solicit for this issue spoils the entire issue. So we'll wait until after we go through it to read that. Imagine. So, <laughs> so I'll start it out. So we begin our story in Moratory Headquarters where we see, you know, one of our new recruits, Scatterbrain, and he's actually soaring through the science facility. And he's yelling, I'm flying. I'm flying like a douchebag like he normally is. <laughs> and as we see, uh, as we see in our Moratory power sets have evolved over time, except this is not the case. The douche is actually wearing a fancy new pair of flying shoes. And mm-hmm. suddenly, he, his, uh, his flight doesn't last long, Chris, because in midair, Scatterbrain's uh, flying session is interrupted when he loses control and he careens into the mats below. This guy is the worst. Uh, now, we have another new recruit. This is Scaredy Cat. Uh, she's also known as Pilar. She's used her uh, her panic powers in order to cause William, the Dagushi, uh, or the the, the douche or whatever we're calling him. Uh, he this this that's what causes him to crash to the mats. Uh, and he yells aloud. He wonders why his own teammate would use her powers against him. Now she notes that Scatterbrain's broad spectrum un, of undisciplined powers was un, indiscriminately giving off too much joy. Remember, he has psychic powers, but he can't focus them, so it affects everybody around him. And so she kind of had to take him down otherwise, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. You just can't handle that much joy. Now, a while later, the two are having a conversation about, you know, just how cool all this new flying tech is. And we got to agree, that is pretty cool stuff. It is cool. Yeah. Pilar notes that they're actually powered by spiritual energy, the very same energy that triggers the military process powers themselves. Hmm. All this, and we find out that the direct fallout from last issues, adept discoveries of alien tech, you know, these are this is the stuff that they removed from the invasion horde ship. So one of the last issues, you know, the, the Strike Force team was, you know, they were inside one of the horde ship. They found a lot of the alien tech, 
and adepter mm-hmm. Jaylene, she's literally been kept in isolation ever since analyzing all this new technology they've locked this girl up man i mean yep. she she is <laughs> under lock and key they want to find everything they can about you know these horde invaders so it's their first big find is flight shoes now <laughs> now i don't know like i'm a fan of 80s comics chris and you know flight flight is just a default power in my opinion so i was a huge legion of superheroes fan and you know the flight ring Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, which is all over the Internet, almost ad nauseum these days on Twitter. Sure. <laughs> Everybody seems to have a Legion flight ring. But uh, flight shoes seem like a pretty cool, uh, you know, uh, a second choice there for sure. So Absolutely. Now, now, these new recruits ponder what the elder moratory warrior adept is really like in real life. So, you, you know, you got these new recruits. They're sort of like figuring out all these old folks and they're not really convinced that, you know, these guys are heroes or actually what they're all about. So they're keeping a close tabs on the goings on with the, with the older folks, you know, mm-hmm. they sort of got a little division between the group as of right now. So for sure. Yeah. That's still some, uh, some growing pains here. And, uh, and uh, they they never went out with Adept yet. Uh, she was kept, like you said, she's kept under lock, lock and key. And last week, or a couple weeks ago, we had their first outing with the other, you know, the rest of the team with uh, Aileen and uh, Lewis. So yeah, they they kind of broke bread with them, but Adept is like a totally different thing to them. Now, Adept's isolation behind guarded doors of the Moritori facility is not going over well with her friends. Uh, and uh, we get a scene where Aileen, uh, Blackthorn, of course, and Lewis, Radian, they're demanding the release of their friend from behind the, you know, from isolation. Uh, Aileen and Lewis uh, threaten the guards subtly, uh, you know, threatening, threatening their powers. Uh, then they're joined by the third recruit, Toxin, who she just jumps right into. She's like, hey, I'll poison you. You know, <laughs> hey, guard guy, you got to step down. And, uh, you know, they tell the guards just not to mess with uh, with these Moritori warriors. <laughs> they don't have to worry for long because, as usual, out of nowhere, <laughs> Miss Commander Beth Neon Always. storms the area. And she is, again, berating the recruits. Who are, they're only trying to influence the guards to free their friend. You know what I mean? They, they, they're they on an admirable mission. Mm-hmm. Now, Beth gives in and actually allows them. So she actually, you know. She lowers her guard for a second and allows them access to see their friend. They know that they miss her. Um, on the way in, Beth actually shakes. She almost has like a tremor, a tremor of pain. And the moratorium noticed that something is just not right with, you know, with Commander Neon. Now, she instantly shakes it off, citing that she has too much. <laughs> she had too much coffee this morning. I don't know about you, but that's that's a lot of coffee. If you're, it, it's time to cut back on the caffeine. Yeah, that's a whole lot of coffee. If you're if you're getting the if you're getting the tremors like that, it's uh, yeah, you got to cut down. Yeah, you, you got to slack back on the Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> now they walk uh, they walk inside and they meet Adept and Jaylene. Now she doesn't even notice them at first. She's just fast at work analyzing. She's in a little isolation pod and she's analyzing Hordy and Tech. Then she breaks her conversation, and she is super pumped about, it. and she is excitingly greeting her friends. Yeah, we get a we get a nice little uh, reunion moment here because, uh, you know, these, these folks are like deeply connected on on so many sure. different levels here with each other, and they've been deprived of each other's company for a little while. So, uh, <laughs> Aileen actually begs uh, Commander Beth Neon to allow Jaylene to leave her confines in order to join them for some pizza, and you know. Uh, Beth kind of hems and haws and notes that, you know, this very well might cost her her job if she lets them do this, but says, eh, what the hell? Go ahead and have your pizza. 
<laughs> that must be some good pizza. Must be. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about you, but what in Arizona? What is the pizza of choice? Seriously, what? What? Where does one go if you want a pizza in Arizona? Oh boy. Um. Well, I live up in Peoria, which is in northwest, the northwest side of uh, the Valley of the Sun here, and uh, the best pizza I've had is about an hour and a half away in the uh, southeast Valley. Oh. It's a place called Casanova Brothers Pizza, and it is just the closest thing I've ever had to New York pizza while I've been out here for. As long as I've been out here, it's uh, the kind of pizza like I, you, I took a bite and I, I could have cried. You know, it was uh, very good <laughs> stuff. Uh, but it's it's slim pickings out here. Uh, uh, you know, and, and it's funny because if, if you're if you meet a New Yorker in a different state, one of the first things you're probably going to wind up talking about with them is the food back home. You know, Absolutely. we don't have the we don't have the cool candy like in Canada. But I mean, <laughs> we, we've got you know, we've got great Italian food, bagels, uh, you know, uh, Chinese and uh, that's one of the things that I'm instantly spoken to about uh, when somebody realizes that I'm not from around here. And uh, I'll always get these, uh, I'll always get these recommendations like, oh, well, you got to go to this place. It's just like back there. And then I go and it's like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> and uh, it actually, the, a couple of years, about a year and a half ago, I was, uh, I was taking my wife's grandmother to the hospital. Uh, she she's beaten cancer twice uh, her All grandmother right. so uh yeah so i i was bringing her there for a follow-up and i'm sitting down and i'm talking to her and the lady next to me she goes you're from new york and i'm like well yeah yeah she goes you gotta try this pizza it's casanova brothers pizza in chandler or gilbert somewhere over there and i was like i'm like yeah well i'll keep it in mind then i figured it was just gonna be another one of those you know stupid <laughs> things that just don't really <laughs> taste like back home uh that weekend uh, me and the wife were out and I'm like, hey, let's head over here. And uh, we got there, and holy smokes, this is the best pizza I've had in 20 years. It was just so is, uh, so phenomenal. Is it, like deep, is it deep dish or oh, what, hell what no. are we looking no, at? No, no, it's it's real pizza. It's it's yeah, it's, triangles. It's a, yeah, yes. <laughs> it's it's big enough where I can actually fold the slices. You don't you don't get that very often out here. Yes, but, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. So here's here's a, here's my thoughts on pizza. So mm-hmm. I'm. I'm not a really a franchise guy. So, you know, when it comes to like Domino's or a little Caesars or something, I mean, you know what? That's fine for like a kid's birthday party or something. Absolutely. But if I want to eat pizza, I don't want, well, we have a restaurant here and they serve these large rectangular party pizzas and they come in like little square pieces. You know what I mean? That drives me crazy. Pizza is a large triangle like you say you got to fold it you got to you know mm-hmm. you got to work at that stuff there's a ton of cheese on it no <laughs> toppings are spared that's that's my type of pizza so we have now we don't have the Casanova brothers but we have something called Acropolis pizza here now it's a uh, it's a greek style I was going to say restaurant. it sounds greek <laughs> yeah it it really 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 is amazing pizza it is mega large <laughs> that's one thing but believe it or not there's one item on their menu which is ridiculous so picture pizza topping so you know a good pizza has nice stringy cheese it has tons of toppings you know it this thing it needs to weigh a lot when you when you bring a pizza you can feel if you got a good pizza in your hand you know what i mean yeah. so they have nachos and they use stringy pizza cheese and layers upon layers upon layers of it and they bury these things so Oh, we were wow. my, myself and my wife one night. We're watching The Bachelor. Don't judge me. And uh, <laughs> we were we were lining up. It was the season finale. And she said, "You know what? I'm really hungry. What can we get?" And I said, "Well, I'll go to Acropolis and get some nachos." So anyway, I waited for about ten minutes there while The Bachelor was, you know, 
obviously lingering. My wife was catching up and I was missing it. <laughs> anyway, the guy comes out with an extremely large pizza box. And I said, no, man, I, I ordered nachos. He said, no, that is the nachos. And when I opened it, Chris. Oh, boy. These, it, I, cows died for this thing. <laughs> so <laughs> word to the wise, if you are in Canada, make a trip to Acropolis Pizza. Don't order the pizza. Grab the nachos. And, uh, you know, anything that goes wrong with your heart, I'm not held responsible. Thank you. <laughs> you right. Anyway, I'm back to the book. So we talked about Beth Neon. You know, she, she allows the team to um, – to, to go, go get pizza. pizza. Yeah. And now Brent Anderson, the artist, is really, really doing a great job with the visuals and all that stuff. And you can see, like we always talk about, he has these one or two panels where he really strikes a character. Mm-hmm. And he does a fantastic job with Beth Neon in this particular panel. And he's clearly still channeling X-Men's Rogue because yeah. she, if you didn't know the difference, you'd think that you were actually reading an X-Men title with this. Sure. And, uh, you know what? I'm even wondering if... Brent Anderson, you know, he wanted to do an X-Men book instead of uh, <laughs> Strikeforce Murray Tori because, I mean, this title is super X-influenced. I mean, think about like it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got the garden, which is basically the Danger Room concept. You've got Beth Neon, who's basically rogue. Aileen, <laughs> I would compare her to, like, later style Kitty Pride. you got Robert, who is absolutely Colossus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you got the moratory jets and the different, uh, you know, the different things we see, but uh, very, very, very heavily, heavily influenced by the X-Men, the visuals anyway. And we see the gang a little later and they're, you know, they're chit-chatting over pizza. They're enjoying their time together. Now, how did you pronounce it? Pilar? Pilar? Pilar. Pilar and Jaylene, they're bantering about Christianity. You know, good old Jaylene, give her every (laughs) second chance that she got to, uh, you know, do her Bible thumping. She loves it. (laughs) Anyway, suddenly an alarm goes off in the facility. This sounds familiar. I think our recruits ran into this. Uh, Now, the team dropped their meal. Of course, it always happens when you're having fun, right? Robert is, you know, when uh, when Harold had his comic, the alarm would go off. Uh, Now in the middle (laughs) of pizza, you know, inconvenient timing. Anyway, the team drops everything they're doing, and they rush to the alarm door and you know armed guards are surrounding this big door so something is about to come through that door and waiting to attack them so everybody is on guard ready to go and the door opens revealing marathon i thought he was dead right Robert. big roberts Woo-hoo! big roberts back we last saw him in issue seven when the murray turry team had attacked that you know that big hordian warship cruiser deal and robert he stayed behind, right? Uh, he was, uh, you know, seeking horde blood for the deaths, uh, you know, uh, both process-related deaths. They weren't actually killed by the horde, but uh, he was still very, very annoyed. You know, they lost Lorna. They lost Harold. He was just not happy, and he wanted to take it out on any testicular-chinned thing he could. Thankfully, <laughs> he kept it to the to the aliens. But uh, he uh, he's back, which is ridiculous. We didn't see a body, so we knew not yep. to totally cross him off. But uh, we get this large splash page of him here. And uh, he's clearly survived being left alone on that ship. But he appears very different, very eerie look to him here. Uh, he's jacked, he's, man. This guy, oh, he is huge. Taller. Yeah, he is just – he's gained so much more size. And it's like – he he like he almost look like he's got acromegaly of sorts, you know, like <laughs> – like where like his bones have grown, but his body is like working on getting to that size. It's just very, very uh, it's disturbing to look at. Almost. It is actually. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's got his hair is a bit 
shorter and he's got this very weird beard you know this is <laughs> this yeah I, I can't even describe it it's like if you if you put like chia paste you know the stuff you use on chia pets <laughs> on your face it's, it's like a tattoo it's it's very very it's, weird it's yeah it's it's also it's like you know if you had like a hair transplant and you use like hair from your balls or something and you were growing <laughs> that on your face that's what it is it's, it's weird it's very very strange and uh yeah, so you figure he probably hasn't had a whole heck of a lot of time to gr- for grooming after killing the horseman. <laughs> uh, we got him here. He's he's more or less nude. He's wearing his yes. blue cape and he's like this, like almost like a cloth diaper. <laughs> it's very very bizarre. It's very very off putting. And uh, you know he he's back and he greets the team with. I'm back. And that's it. You know what's weird? So he's standing there in his giant adult diaper. <laughs> and he, which is which is actually a Hordian diaper. We get to see these yeah. uh, like it's Hordian it's Hordian wear. So it's like yeah. an undergarment type of thing. I guess ceremonial or something. But he still kept the cape on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what what do you go around? You don't bother to dress, but by God, you walk around with a cape. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know about you, that's but a man who knows how important he is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not covering up this body, ladies. <laughs> I wish I could pull off a cape, but anyway. <laughs> anyway, one thing that's funny, and one of the actual tropes in this book, is that we get the title page usually about near the very end of the book. So if you're looking for an intro page or like what the story is called, it usually happens in the very rear end of the title. But this mm-hmm. one, we actually get it fairly early in the book. Yep. You know, it's not even halfway through, and that's one of the calling cards of the series, you know, just to have that opening page so early in the book. It's it's It almost feels wrong, <laughs> to be quite honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> I tell you what, though, the Moratory, they are elated to see Big Robert. I mean, you got to – let's be clear. I mean, since Harold died, uh, there's been nobody running this thing. And, I mean, you have no. poor old Radian who, uh, you know, would sooner run from the horde and hide in a box than he would actually fight anybody. <laughs> you know, you got Aileen who well, had to I be mean, told what her powers were last issue. Yeah. She's it's like, it's like, hey, uh, Robert would have broken the wall. It's like, well, then Toxin's like, well, why don't you just melt it then? Don't you have melting powers? Can you just do something? Yes. And, so Toxin, this poor girl who's been a Moritori for 20 minutes, is being looked at as a leader. So it's a, it's a nice thing that Robert is back. It is. It, it, you know what? And it feels good, too, as a reader when oh, I yeah. saw him come back. And like I said, I'm, I'm rereading these, so every issue seems like it's brand new to me. And seeing sure. Robert, it was like a breath of fresh air. Like, I'm cheering for these people every mm-hmm. single time in this book. That's that's one of the things. Like, I'm connected to these characters. Sure. And when I see someone like Robert come back, I'm like, I'm... I'm happy inside just to see him. It's like a now, relief. Yeah, it is. It's a relief. So thank God we got, you know, we got some <laughs> brute force back in the, you know, you just don't have people like indiscriminately creating scatterbrained thoughts and people. <laughs> God. Anyway, it seems odd. He's just returning from space and, you know, they, they barely allow him any time and they just ask him to, you know, come sit. Manjo. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> he never had a physical. Did he have anything? I mean, what are we looking at here? I mean, it's possible he could have been back for a while, I guess. Maybe he was having a spa treatment. I mean, why is his hair shorter? It's true. <laughs> he's, and he's been away so long. I mean, the travel from where he landed to the moratory headquarters, he grew like an intense five o'clock shadow. It's so bad. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is the worst thing I've ever seen. Like, I'm actually crying for like a pencil thin mustache at this point. Right. <laughs> Man, brutal. 
I can't even. I just can't get over how bad it looks. Unless it's like it's penciled on. It Speaking like of penciled it, yeah. on, I, I, I got to tell you, it's one of these horrible, horrible stories. So I, I worked at a uh, a large retailer way, way, way back in my career. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to say the name. You know, starts with a W, ends with an Walmart. But you know, I I, I, I worked there. <laughs> anyway, there was a uh, there was a lady and. Clearly, I don't know what was going on. I don't know if she was sick or what the deal was, but her eyebrows, either she was trimming them too close or too thin or, you know, maybe she was ill and they fell off. I don't know. But anyway, and I don't mean to speak ill of the ill, but <laughs> but this lady uh, attempted to pencil in some features. So, you know, if she was losing some hair, she'd just, you know, spray a little bit in the front. But she was uh, – I would not call her a makeup artist, Chris. So okay. so she actually penciled in her eyebrows on a daily basis. Now I don't know. I don't know if you've seen like a Sharpie marker, but <laughs> after after a while if you use a Sharpie marker, it goes from, you know, it's a nice clean black crisp color to sure. it slowly evolves into like light navy and so on and so on. So her eyebrows were were penciled in and I mean deep deep sharpie black <laughs> right first and i mean they were almost done like maleficent eyebrows where they were very high elevated eyebrows you know almost like cat eyes or something and uh anyway they slowly evolved into uh like a light navy and it was just the most off-putting thing and i don't know if you've oh, spoken to someone and they have like a weird facial feature it's like you know your eyes go right to it oh, all the time absolutely you know? Yeah, and uh, and every time she would talk to me, <laughs> all I can see was her eyebrows. Head. You're like, Jesus! I felt like running to get the sharpie and filling those things in for her. I don't know, it's bad, but anyway, God, God bless her and, and her sharpie. So anyway, yes. moving on, moving on. I'm judgmental. Hate me. <laughs> but anyway, they uh, at least they give the big, you know, the basic dude an apron while he eats. So you know, Robert is not sat there in his adult diaper and his cape. They give him this hideous, hideous green apron. To wear while he's sitting there, so at least he's not naked eating pizza. That's one. That's one small step. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> while they're uh, while they're eating, Robert, you know, he he shares his story here. He uh he notes that when he was left on board that craft back in issue seven, he sought out the horde leader who was called. Uh, we thought it might be Stinkfist, but it's actually Starkfist. And um, <laughs> Stinkfist is a whole different thing, as Chris would don't say. Google don't, that. Don't, don't Google that. Don't Google that. <laughs> No, en route to the big guy, he discovers that the engine he discovers the engine room and the ship's mainframe, the particle accelerator. Uh, now it was too big for even Robert to destroy, and Robert is just a huge dude, if you recall. Uh, now Robert reveals that he let himself build his powers. He almost charging himself up to obliterate the ship when Stockfist came upon him. Robert details that the leader struck him with his claws and with weapons to no effect, to the point that he almost respected him. But that's before he, of course, killed him. So, <laughs> oh, Robert. Yeah, he's like, eh, you know, hey, you, you put in a good fight there, champ, and then you're dead. Uh, now, he took some of the Horde blasters and he destroyed the ship's power accelerator once and for all, which launched him earthward, where he re-entered Earth's orbit like a nova crashing into the ocean. He looked like a like a shooting star here. It was crazy. He uh, now, once he rose, he 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 rose out of the water, 75 miles outside of California, and he swam all the way back to shore, his, 75 miles. Maybe his hair fell out, and he just found that sharpie and just filled it all in. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, 
Now, Toxin, uh, one of our newbies, she looks on as Robert tells his story and she ponders to herself, you know, just how weak she views the other military recruits. But she feels like Robert himself is something akin to an elemental force. You know, he is just so powerful. And these other goofballs are, you know, they forget what powers they have. They have to be they have to be led by the nose to to melt walls. But Robert here is just like he is a beast, you know. And uh, Robert reveals to no one's surprise that the next time he and the horde uh, cross paths, he will end them. And I think he really means it. I mean, I Robert is what. Yeah. No, I think Robert is what uh, Stu Hart would call a big rhino, like a rhino. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, uh, above Earth in the largest Hordean ship in the Earth's orbit, we're told, the Horde Council ponders the death of their Horde leader, poor Stink, uh, Stank, uh, Starkfist. <laughs> yeah, it's him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy. Don't Google that again. Uh, <laughs> and they know they have to choose another amongst the ranks to lead them into harvesting of Earth, so they need a new leader. The elders select a new guy, Thundercrush, of something called the Charm Tent. So I don't know <laughs> if they – yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't even know what that means. No. But uh, so are we to see that, you know, the different blocks of the Horde are considered tents? Like they have the Charm Tent and they have another tent. Could or be. is that just – or does yeah. he actually live in a Charm Tent? <laughs> we, do, we don't know. It could, maybe it's a charms tent, like uh, we had our we had our gum dinger uh, balloons, and we have a charms tent. <laughs> everything is awesome. uh, everything is sponsored on on Marvel Earth twelve eighty seven. So it, this is a charms <laughs> tent. He he what? sold ten items with Captain Olympic, and he got the charms <laughs> tent. So there we go. <laughs> that is the best. I bet they should have put that in there. Oh my god, that's so good. Anyway, back at Moratory Headquarters, the alarms sound again. Now, Toxin, she's shaken from her sleep, and she rushes to answer the horde alert. So, I mean, this girl is woken, like, literally from her street, from her sleep, and she's scrambling to get ready, just pulling on her clothes, and then she sees Pilar smacking Scatterbrain Douchebag on the head. Now, this guy was transmitting... That's his powers, by the way. He he transmits emotion uh, indiscriminately, so it could go to anybody at any time. And everybody, and, yeah. And everybody. So he started broadcasting fear throughout the entire moratory compound. So, but this is no force alarm. This is no false alarm this time. You know, the team burns rubber towards their moratory craft, and of course, we can't go towards the uh, their, their launch ship without you know doing their leap, which we see yet again. Yep. <laughs> oh man, I, I gotta ask Brent Anderson about that man. That just seems so strange. But anyway, <laughs> now William the douche and Toxie, they're left in the dust as Scaredy Cat seems to have fully developed speed power suddenly, and she's getting to the craft first, and she meets Aileen. Now Pilar notes that you know she passed Radiant along the way as well, but ponders where is Robert? Hmm. Now, Blackthorn has an idea. I think she knows exactly where Robert is. The moratory converge on Adept's lockup, where guess who? Robert has already beaten his way past security and broken on through the walls with sheer brute force. So there you go. <laughs> now, he leads Jaylene to freedom and commands that she accompany them on their next outing against the Horde. Commander Neon meets them, of course, as usual. She's right there, and she begins what she's best at: berating the team sure. for disrupting the, uh, you know, the isolation and, you know, adept's analysis. Um, you know, she demands that they're not going anywhere. But Robert has other ideas. Suddenly, 
Now, this is a weird thing, and you know we get to see exactly what happens a little bit later in the book, but we'll keep that a little bit of a mystery. Suddenly, without warning, Beth Neon, who had the little twitch earlier, if we recall, clutches her chest and literally collapses on the floor. <laughs> Aileen, you know, she sympathizes for the fate of the commander. This is this is her girl, yeah. and uh, anyway, the team does not seem concerned one bit. They know at that all. They're just standing there over. Yeah. Now, in, in the background, we see some medics around the way, and poor old Beth Neon is, for all intents and purposes, dead as a doorknob. <laughs> and they just pull out because they got the yep. they got to kill some horde. And you know, as they're pulling out, Aileen questions their humanity, her humanity, and she says to Lewis, "She said, what's happening to us?" And Lewis proclaims, "We're dying, Aileen." And they actually have a spelling error with Aileen in there, right there. But anyway, <laughs> anyway. Now, with the uh, with the Murray on board their ship, they head quickly to Hershey, Pennsylvania. What's in Hershey? I think I think not Canadian chocolate. I think uh, <laughs> American chocolate, which we'll uh, we'll touch back on later. Now, uh, while on board, we get some character development in one panel as Robert wonders if Jaylene regrets him breaking her out of the prison, but. She shares that she's glad that she and Robert are back together. She would rather be nowhere else. Now, the team notes that their destination is the Hershey Chocolate Factory, that the team had their first encounter with the Horde back way back in issue uh, one or two there, where uh, where Harold wanted to save the world, and it turned out that uh, all he was doing was saving chocolate. Um, now, it's noted that uh, their new flying shoes are far more reliable than their pod landing packs that they used way back in issue number three. Yeah, those, uh, were, the, those were kind of cool. Like, they were. They yeah, were. They're like they're like a little helicopter style pod where they just sort of fly in and they've got like controls. And that mm-hmm. I thought those were kind of cool. But I guess flying shoes are a little bit better, I guess. I, I guess so. There, there's less moving parts, I guess. So it's easy to fix. Now, the, uh, the Horde are again pillaging the Chocolate Factory, and they spot the incoming Murray team. Pilar notes that they've been spotted, and the team must protect Adept during the fray. Remember, Adept has all that information in her head. Even though she's in the field with them, she is still the most valuable player in a way. So uh, Absolutely. So Robert proclaims that she will be protected. Now, loving, we'll just love this whole, like, Jaylene is like Robert's little sister in a way. He's like, yeah. He's just, like, blocking everything to her. He's grabbing her in, her, in his arms. It's it's really cool that they've, uh, that they've, they've kind of found a connection here because they're, they, they have a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences too. Uh, if you remember that scene back at the nightclub, uh, before they went into space, like, they went off to the side and had a little meal together, you know, and, uh, and Robert was just really, really lost in his own head over losing Lorna. And Jaylene is like, well, have you found Christ yet? And uh, Robert's like... <laughs> like she does all the time. That's 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 her opening. And Robert's like, I wish it was that easy. You know, he's like, I, w- I, I envy you the ability to have faith in, in this crazy world. And I, I love that these two are just... They're, they're just pals. And it's, uh, it, it's, really, it's really sweet. Yeah, I think I think early on I was rooting for like the Harold Lorna combination, but I think the real money is in the uh, the mm-hmm. Robert Jaylene story. I think Jaylene, who started out as my least favorite character, the weakling, the yeah. Thing, yeah, like had no place. I think she's really, really, she's up there, man. She is, mm-hmm. she's probably you know number two, my favorite character in this entire book, and uh, I really do like she's actually found a little bit of a connection with Robert, which is which is awesome. And I, uh, and I do think that Lorna and Harold are together now. I think. <laughs> I'd like to think that on so, the in the afterlife they are together. 
So sweet. That, so that's sweet. our that's our head cannon here. <laughs> anyway, the strike force explode onto the scene with powers of blazing, of course, and they overwhelm the Hordian looters. Radiant, Mr. Lewis, he's surprised by one hordesman, so he actually gets the drop on him. He leaps on his back, but he deposits what looks like a microchip down the back mm-hmm. of Lewis's what I would call lampshade neck cone. I think I think I think calling his uh, his costume a series of uh, of lampshades is probably not the uh, <laughs> it's, it, not it the works. worst description. Yeah, it's like it's like when your dog goes in for a like for a surgery. <laughs> And you got to stop him from chewing on his uh on his stitches. They put that cone on their head. That's uh <laughs> Lewis is just covered in dog cones here. Yeah, <laughs> he is. I thought that was pretty <laughs> funny. I, di- I didn't notice that until right now. But yeah, so he he drops this this little device, or it it turns out to be a a video cassette, mm-hmm. but uh, drops down the back of his costume. Now he he doesn't even notice it really, yeah. but he wishes him Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Listen to that. He's not as, you know, if the, he was not in 2019, obviously, because if you wish someone Merry Christmas in 2019, the world is offended. So, man, thank God this is 86. Oh, boy. Or 87, I should say. Man, you could get in trouble for that. Woo. True. Anyway, True. the battle rages on, this, and it's it's a one-sided affair, really. Robert and Jaylene, they just watch on. Suddenly, though, Jaylene is actually grazed in the back of her head by Hordian fire, and it catches them off guard. Now, Robert absolutely panics. I mean, he sees his friend almost sustaining a death blow, Mm -hmm. and he leaps into action, utilizing his shield. Now, we haven't seen much of Robert's shield. We've seen him on the covers with it and all that stuff, but he grabs his shield to protect Adept, and he commands that she get behind him. Now, if Robert tells you something, get behind the dude is all I'm telling you. And he lunges at the uh, Hordian troopers, and he lunges at a brick wall, and he causes it just to fall over. I mean, he just rams this thing with his brute force and his shield. And, uh, you know, it just kills the remaining soldiers that are just under it. And he cradles his friend, and he leaps out of the action zone to protect her. So the Moratori have won again. The Horde have retreated, and good old Will (laughs) Deguchi, he notes that the Horde are runners, and just maybe, just maybe, that the moratori are becoming a deterrent. Mm-hmm. Now Robert is having none of that. He just <laughs> says, you know, how <laughs> however, being a deterrent is just not enough and only annihilation will be enough. Now with a depth safe and the horde threat vanquished, Aileen motions for the team to return to headquarters to, you know, check on Beth Neon, who they left basically <laughs> dead on the floor <laughs> before they scrambled to grab the horde looters. So they're back. If she they're gone. Die, she die. Yes. <laughs> we, uh, we catch up with them back at HQ and they go to Beth's hospital room. Uh, but on the way they're cut off by Dr. Tulima. Uh, that's of course the Moritari process creator. And he notes that she is fine and she's under sedation. And he blames the recruits for causing her so much stress and so he orders them to, you know, go back, go, you know, he, he sends them to their bedrooms, basically. Go to your room and no dinner. Now, except for that pizza that you ate a little while ago. <laughs> now, in his quarters, we see Lewis, and he discovers that little weird microchip, uh, which is actually a little micro video cassette. You you remember those, uh, you ever have one of those, like, mini uh, vi- uh, video cameras where, like, it has that little cassette that you put in like a big cassette so you can play it on the vcr 
Yes, sir. I have. I actually have one of those right now. It's a micro or a mini VHS cassette player. I've got an old video camera now. I don't do anything with it, but I've always, you know, <laughs> it it has a lot of videos on there. So you know, family vacations from Disney. Sure. Uh, you know, birth of our children, some different things like that are all on these micro video cassettes, and I have never taken the time to actually transfer them to a sensible <laughs> media. But we always have this little camera, so when we want to see these videos, we actually put our you know, our VHS recording camera and plug it into the TV with those good old red, white, and yellow cables and we watch our videos. So, yeah, I, I use them all the time. I, th- I think there's a there's probably a basement full of those mini tapes with a, a bunch of uh, my, you know, teenage backyard wrestling on them. So that's a... Oh, oh no, you have to share that. <laughs> if I could find them. <laughs> I, I need to see Chris Sheehan careening through a table. I need this in my life. <laughs> Under the thumbtacks, off the roof, all that good stuff. <laughs> now, he, uh, you know, curiosity gets the best of Lewis here. He sees this tape and he's like, what the hell is this tape doing here? So he pops it into a machine that can play it. And on the tape, we see a, record, a recording of a Horde Inquirer. And he's got a little table in front of him. <clears throat> and on this table lies an original Black Watch member named Bruce Higashi. He's strapped to this table, and uh, this ain't an autopsy. Bruce is alive and well. Hold the phone here. Hold mm. the phone here, Mr. Sheehan. It's like <laughs> it's like what we thought we knew. It's all, it's all gone to pot. It's like we don't know anything. Everything we thought we knew about the Murray Terry universe, dot, 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 was wrong. Is there anything more Marvel than that? I mean, that, this, is, this is a Marvel book after all, so that's what we get at Marvel. But, uh, yeah, so after, despite all the wartime propaganda videos, despite Harold's one comic book, Bruce Higashi is still alive. And the Inquirer here, he notes that the video is current, and he actually proves that by showing a current magazine to timestamp it. You know, like like with ransom letters, like with the kidnapper will have like the, the captive hold the today's newspaper so you can see it's today. And um, the alien notes that, you know, hey, you know, he got he this this dude, Bruce here, went on underwent the process a long time ago. Dude's still alive. You know, the alien claims that they have found a cure for the Murray Terry process. And he uses Bruce's living, breathing body here as an example. And he notes that this fella has lived a year plus four months. So, hmm. And of course, they're not lying. And of course, they played to the weakest member of this team, Radian, who <laughs> who who has wants no part of dying within a year. He, like you said, he'll he'll go hide in a box if he can. Now, uh, now Bruce screams, you know, over the video here for him not to accept their offer because he he's offering Lewis a chance to live. You know, if they can figure out a way for the humans and the horde to come to terms, why not just give you the cure? And Bruce is like, no, don't do it, don't do it. And, uh, you know, we have we have Lewis because he is the weakest guy here who just values not dying more than anybody else on the team, it seems. And he wonders to himself, is this real? You know, what would happen if he could live on? And, and he thinks to himself, like, I don't want to die, but I also don't want to live as a traitor to the cause. So what what do you do? I mean, it's a it's a heady uh, concept there. 
I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself that I'm making that phone call to that horde trooper and Big getting gun. myself out of this situation, especially after I've seen all the tragedy that we've gone through with the horde people. This For dude, sure. Chris Bailey wants to live. That's all I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not the guy who goes down with the ship. I'm the guy who's the first off on the boat. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> it's like that uh, George Carlin joke where he says like it's like you meet people who say if I'm on a if I'm you know if I'm hooked up to machines pull the plug on me and he goes not me <laughs> keep me plugged in absolutely <laughs> I want you jumping up and down on my chest <laughs> keep me going <laughs> me too I am that guy uh, out of nowhere burst Pilar. And she grabs Lewis while he's right in the middle of, you know, watching his uh, his video sort of interrupts the guy. You know, it's it's always an interruption with this. Anyway, she rushes him to a vid screen outside there and uh, they're watching a hacked video feed, which stars Mr. Moratory Walt Disney himself, Dr. Talima. He's having a conversation, a very interesting conversation with someone off screen. Now, we don't ever find it. We don't find out in this issue who he's actually talking about. Dr. Tulema is having a heated discussion with a mystery man, and he's told to shut down all of his current research. And they basically want him to fine tune the moratory process to create more adept powered members. Mm-hmm. So they wanted like an army of adepts. Yeah. Talimo now he argues that he can't just give up research and you know to, um, you know to control the dire consequences of death of his recruits. But the mystery man is hearing none of it, and he commands him to follow those orders he just gave him. End of freaking discussion. So shocked, Louis and Pilar wonder aloud, you know, what's the deal with Talima? He's actually working on a cure. And it looks like whoever he's talking to is basically tell him to abandon the recruits and lead them to certain death. Mm-hmm. Now, Pilar notes that she was a loyal citizen all this time, and now she feels abandoned by her own team, basically. Sure. Now, Lewis, of course, he's got a lot on his mind here right now, so he's got to weigh this out. So he's got a crisis of conscience going on. Moments ago, he learned that a horde may have, you know, a cure in in just an offer of like just an understanding with earth humans while his own people seem to be turning his back on them so you know what should he do should he continue to fight and fall in line like everybody else or should he take this revelation and take a risk become a traitor and just save them all louis of course he he ponders he's just sitting there and he's just it's just killing him he picks up the phone and he actually calls the alien inquirer so lewis is going into business for himself it's true and that's how we end the next issue they they tell us that we're going to have a very special issue detailing you know what happened to what actually happened by the way to the black watch which i really want to know right now because Mm -hmm. it seems like these guys are dead they're not dead you know the video is real it's not real it's a comic book it's not the true story we don't know what in the blue hell happened to the black watch (laughs) Plus, they also offer us that a uh, a look at the origin of the Horde, which is also cool. I guess we get to see them eating their own feces, I guess. I love it. And it says, be here in 30 days for cats. What? Ooh, the Winter Garden Theater. Now and forever. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Daddy don't like cats. <laughs> Heck of an issue, huh? Loved it. Lots of revelations oh, in this thing. Oh, man, I... I... I mean, we have uh, we got Beth Neon, who, I mean, we we've known there's been something a little hinky about her since 
like day one because Harold was even picking up on her. You know, yeah. like he he was like zeroing in on her when he was only supposed to zero in on people who have undergone the process, his teammates. But for somehow, Beth was actually showing up on his radar. You know, that's just weird on its own. But, you know, it, he, that happened right before Harold died. So for all we know, his powers were just going a little haywire toward the end. Maybe he was getting a maybe it was like some sort of like an extinction burst or something where he was just zoning in on everybody, regardless of the, you know their composition. Uh, but here we go. I mean, she's uh, she had a little jitter, and then she had a, looked like a heart attack. And it's a uh, it's a little uh, it's a little suspect. We don't know exactly what uh, what's going on with her, and that's uh, I, I think that's really cool. It seems, yeah, and I, I really dug that too. I love this, the little unfolding story plots that you got going on. So mm-hmm. you've got the situation with Beth Neon, you know, what exactly is or what's the deal with her and Talima? You know, is this moratory process on the up and up or is this some mm-hmm. sort of propaganda or government experiment gone awry? We we don't really have that answer right now. Yep. You know, we, we got these new recruits. They're coming in. They're, you know, they've just got trained or introduced to the process. Everybody's going to die within a year. You know, we got division within the ranks. We got Robert and Jaylene who are now, you know, opening up this, this relationship and he's a protector. You know, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot to digest. And then mm-hmm. you got Lewis who they a really... Bombshell. Yeah, they really haven't given him anything to do except run and hide for cover. And now he potentially has got an offer to find a cure to the moratory process. So this mm-hmm. one, the doors have opened. The floodgates have opened on this one. So mm-hmm. that's and pretty pretty damn cool, man. Yeah. Then we, we all, you know, in, in the, the timing of it, you know, he gets his little video thing. And then it just so happens that they also find out that Tolima was actively working on a cure. But abandoned it. So it's Ooh, like. Boy. Kicking the ass. Totally. 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 Just another fantastically strong issue here. It's what, a, what, what is the meaning of the title? The Undiscovered Country in this? Huh. Yeah. That's a good question. And I, I would have called this World War Robert. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it reminds me of. The whirling Robert Dervish. Yes. <laughs> So I, I, I guess maybe next month we won't see cats. <laughs> the issue is called maybe cats. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. Back on in the first episode, we read uh, blurbs from an issue of Wizard Magazine where they went down, like, the top ten stories you've never read, you know. And uh, Strike First Murray Terry number one through eight was number one on their list. This is number nine. And uh, it's just as strong as the first eight. hundred percent. This thing... Like, I, I have emotion over these characters, man. Like, yeah. I, I enjoy, like, I can't wait to sit. And I say, I intentionally save these things up before the show. For sure. And I do, I do not read those comics, or reread them, I should say, until, like, a couple days. Well, not a couple days, but just enough to get our notes done for, for this particular mm-hmm. show. And I anxiously await them. And it, it mm-hmm. kills me every time that I have to stop on one issue. But I force myself to do it. And I come oh, yeah. away with just this... This just this sense of you know joy that I had as a kid, and it's, it's these type of books that I grew up on, and it's the type of thing you're not seeing on shelves this day and age, man. It's so good. No, no absolutely not. And it, it's funny you say that because I have not read issue ten yet. As of as of this recording, I'm still on nine. You know, I didn't want to read ahead, and it's just a. Uh, it's good. It, That's the way. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And it's just you, you build up that uh, that deprivation, you know, you really want to know what's happening. And when it when it all hits, it's uh, it's really good stuff here. And this uh, this issue, it's just a whirlwind of, uh, of emotion and uh, just so much stuff happening. Um, I think one of the things is not even a criticism, but just one of the observations we had about earlier issues was that, you know, everything seemed one way until you got to the staples of the issue. You know, it seemed like it could be a slow burn. And then when you get to the staples, it's just it's just, you know, zero to 60, you know. Yeah, exactly. They give you they give you that little buffer. So they give you just a little slice of life first. Mm -hmm. And then it's then it's gangbusters. Absolutely. And we kind of get that here with their little pizza party. But at the same time, it was sandwiched with Robert, you know, bursting in. And then and then you have the uh, the big battle with the horde here. And then that just amazing revelation of uh, a potential cure and an abandoned cure. So it's a lot of stuff going on here. And, and we talked about how there might be some X-Men influence in the art. There might be some X-Men influence in the writing here because this is very Claremontian. With the uh, subplots bubbling along and uh, just waiting for the right opportunity to to you know finally perk and and, and come to fruition here. So it's a uh, just having a hell of a good time with this, and this is a fantastic series here. I, I hope the folks listening are if you if you're not enjoying what we're saying, I hope you at least go and uh, hop on Unlimited or or however you want to find them and just uh, and just experience this series uh, because I, I agree. It's really. It's, good this is not the podcast that you're going to get a, the two hosts who are, you know, hating the source material <laughs> and struggling to get through and, you know, boy, let's get this over with. That ain't the podcast. You got no. two people that do this that do this podcast because we love these books and I guarantee you we love doing this show for you. And uh, man, we got another good one. Absolutely. And uh, we mentioned earlier on in the episode that the solicitation for this issue ruined the whole thing. So. With the synopsis out of the way, let's solicit this book here. It says, With mankind's war against the invading horde at a stalemate, a lost member of Earth's superheroic Strike Force Muraturi discovers a secret that could destroy the group's loyalty to humanity. The alien's Grand Inquisitor, the Gentle Inquirer, possesses a cure for the fatal side effects of the Muraturi process, and he's got proof that it works. A surviving member of Muraturi's predecessors the black watch what the hell they ruined the whole book with the solicitor. literally spoiler. is this 2019 is this a 2019 Man. marvel book come on holy cow like they went from zero solicits they like <laughs> did not even say a word that there was a book out you know they couldn't even give us the the satisfaction to say that the title was coming out and now they just ruin it <laughs> yeah. in cow. a paragraph they go through the whole thing here but uh you know we actually get we get we get a lot of back matter here we get we get our bullpen bulletins. We get a profile of a, of one of our one of our favorites. We get a letters page. We get our ads. The ads are a little sparse because a lot of them are repeats. But uh, I mean, we got a lot of back matter here, and uh, I figure we started off here with the bullpen bulletins. Absolutely. We learn here in an item that Mary Jo Duffy leaves Marvel Editorial and becomes a freelancer. And uh, for better or worse, she's writing that Fallen Angels miniseries that we we both love so much. Boy, they wanted to push her out the door. <laughs> that turd. And it's funny. They're actually, right now, there's a series, an X-Men series, called Fallen Angels right now. And uh, I read the first issue a couple weeks ago. It's uh, it's not my favorite book of the line, but it. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. That, uh, poor, now, woman. Uh, that poor woman. God bless her. 
Another item, Walt Simonson. He wins the Hextor Award in Oviedo, Spain, for his work on Thor. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, that's a that's a pretty good sleep aid for me. Chris, I'm going to say it. The <laughs> internet is about to turn on Charlton Hero. I'm going to get a million unfollows because I'm going to say this. Walt Simonson's heralded run on Thor is no good. <laughs> How about that? I didn't like it. I don't like his art on this book. I think it's stupid. <laughs> and... You can hate me all you like. I don't like it. And you know what? You're damn right. It is perfect for insomnia. Yeah, I, I always say Thor is a bore. I just ne- – there was only one run of Thor that I ever got into, and it was – of all things, it was the Dan Jurgens run post-Hero's uh, Return. Uh, it was just more of a – if you can imagine it, more of like a street-level Thor. Yes. Where it was uh, just – I felt it was the only one that I could actually kind of – I don't want to say relate to because he's still Thor, but I mean, I could enjoy for what it is because, you know, seeing him cross a rainbow bridge or turn into a frog or he he brought him back to his his verily nay roots. And that is not what I want. (laughs) Not my favorite. Uh, Now, speaking of awards, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, he went to Luca or Lucha, Italy, and he claimed his Yellow Kid Award for his work on Electra Assassin. Now, how, how do you how do you feel about Electra Assassin? <laughs> First, we're going to start with uh, Bill Sienkiewicz. <laughs> oh man, I I don't know. We got an interesting eclectic bunch here of artists that I don't think I really like any of them. So Walt Simonson has this sketchy, really really loose, almost uh, I don't know. It's it's too sketchbookish for me. I think that's why mm-hmm. I didn't like it. Now Bill Sienkiewicz, Electra Assassin. I mean. Some of his painted stuff is really, really good. Some mm-hmm. of his interior work is so loose and bizarre and just – I don't even know how to describe it, but I'm just not a fan of it. And Electra Assassin, uh, that's not my bag, man. I didn't like that book either. Electra Assassin was the first uh, back issue I ever saw. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've said, I've told the story before about my first time going to a comic shop was for ElfQuest, you know, and – uh I didn't know what a back issue bin was, so the guy behind the counter goes, check the back issues, you know, and I go over there, and uh, I go to the E section, and the first book I saw was an issue of Electra Assassin, and it had like a $10 price tag on it, and this was like 1990, but I'm Ooh. just like, I'm like, there's no way I'll be able to afford any comic books. <laughs> it's like I almost started crying right there. <laughs> it's like, oh, these are all $10. I'll never be able to buy them. <laughs> but uh, ElfQuest, of course, was like $2, so it wasn't that big a deal. But I, I actually am a, a big fan of Bill Sienkiewicz's work. I, I do like that style. Um, I, I loved his work on uh, New Mutants around, like, the Demon Bear saga. Yeah, actually, actually yes, I, I will agree. That is good stuff. And, I, like, even because he did, like, those Welcome to the Mad Dog Ward covers for yep. Spider-Man. Oh, no, uh, no, 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 no. Those are the, the interiors. Old- those are the you know, the covers for those books. Those hmm. are the only books that I have have actually taken in my hands and torn into. <laughs> I, I cannot stand them. Like I don't. I and for some reason I had like four of each issue. I don't know what the hell I was doing, but anyway, somehow they landed in my collection, and I hate that. Oh, <laughs> he uh, his work kind of. I I don't know if there was any kind of. Uh, inspiration but uh what's his face here uh ted mckeever 
Uh, he's another artist who has a very uh, eclectic style. Uh, he did like Met- Met- Metropole. He did uh, Eddie Current. Um, uh, he did uh, the very tail end of the uh, of the Vertigo Tomb Patrol with uh, Rachel Pollock writing. Uh, he always struck me as very Sienkiewicz like, and uh, I, I enjoy his work a lot too. I, it's just I, you kind of got got to be in the mood for that kind of style, but I, I can definitely appreciate it. Um, but uh, that's funny. You tore those books. <laughs> that is a fact. That is not fiction, folks. <laughs> Another item we have. John Ramita Sr. becomes a grandfather. And so John Jr. becomes an uncle. So it wasn't his kid. It was his. Uh... Oh, and John Jr. is not John Sr. That's what I'll say. Oh, <laughs> boy. John, and we've got, listen, we've got a good buddy online. You know, he uh, he loves his Spider-Man, and God bless him. He loves John Ramita. And, you know, I'd just like to give a big shout out to him here on the podcast. <laughs> I don't even need to bring up his name. He, 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 he loves it. That's all I'll say. He does. He does. Speaking he'll, of he'll, Spider-Man, though, uh, he's getting married. He's oh, getting imagine. married. And Marvel is going to throw him the mother of all bachelor parties. At the Oakland Hyatt Hotel in Oakland, California. It's so big, it's going to last two days. May 2nd and 3rd for a bash. This is actually at the Wonderful World of Comics convention of uh, 1987. Uh, Featured guests include Stan Lee, Jim Shooter. Yes, sir. And Steve Englehart. Wait, what What is happening? I don't don't (laughs) know. Did, did, he, did, did he write that did, issue? I mean, what, what? How did Engelhart weasel his way in there? <laughs> I don't know. But those are all of our news items that we thought were uh, fit to sh- fit to print uh, on uh, on this uh, on this audio uh, endeavor here. Uh, we do get a profile pro hyphen file, which takes up half of the bullpen bulletins here. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if this might be the first one because it's Jim Shooter. I mean, who else are you going to start with, right? What a better person to start with than right? Brother Jim. We salute you, sir. <laughs> now, uh, the picture of him is a caricature, just like all of the profiles are. And it's a, a caricature of Jim, and it only features his torso. Because, in case you haven't heard, he is kind of tall. That's kind of his <laughs> thing, his gimmick. Uh, he is so tall, in fact, that the Empire State Building in the background only makes it up to around his waist. So he is a tremendous giant. And uh, they, this this profile lists his past Marvel freelance credits as Starbrand. There you go. Secret Wars one and two. Most most people would never admit to you know crediting Starbrand and Secret Wars two all at once. But anyway, this guy <laughs> maybe, does. Maybe John Byrne wrote this profile. He's like, <laughs> screw you, man. <laughs> Keep it, keeping Secret with Wars that. <laughs> keeping with that, uh, Avengers because. Uh, People didn't like his run on Avengers. Uh, Daredevil, Ghost Rider, Dazzler, and almost every character at one time or another. So I don't know why he bothered to itemize these instead of just saying almost every character, but what are you going to do? His current Marvel credits, quote, and I'm not writing anything. Which Okay. Uh, he (laughs) He was born in Pittsburgh. His hobbies include running, lifting weights, riding motorcycles, and he is allegedly one of the 50 most eligible bachelors in America, according to Playgirl magazine. What? Jim Shooter. Mr. Yeah. Pimpleface. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that, like, he's got, he's got that bad, like, Brian Adams-style acne scarring going on there. I don't know. 
Oh, that hurts. Oh, but <laughs> that guy would see. never make it on The Bachelor, Chris. All right, <laughs> you need two trays of nachos to get through that episode. <laughs> now, this is actually something that happened in real life. He was actually on a list of the most eligible bachelors in America in Playgirl. Um, I couldn't find a copy of this article, but I, I'm not ashamed to say I did look for it because I, I thought it would be funny to uh, to see exactly what they said about. Our man Jim in Playgirl hey, magazine. Hey, hey, listen, man, it's 2019. You go get that Playgirls. <laughs> next time I'm uh, next time I'm in that used magazine uh, aisle looking at uh, John Stamos uh, teen bag magazines, I'll see if there's. So, so for information, Chris searches such such quality magazines as Playgirl and you know teen bag. Don't teen ask and don't bag. Google that either, please. No, no, you can get in trouble for for Googling teen bag. That uh. John oh. Stamos is still looking for love, though. That's what I'll tell you. He's in danger, and the only thing that can save him is your love. So that, uh, that's a, a headline from a 1978 magazine or something like that. But uh, Uncle Jesse. Uncle Jesse. Have mercy. Um, now, uh, Jim Shooter's pet peeves include narrow-mindedness and short-sightedness. Ooh, he could be yeah. like a moratorium recruit. He could be. He could be. Now, the work he is most proud of is the improved financial benefits and creator's rights that he had managed to get for all the people who work at Marvel, which that's something to be proud of. That's a pretty that big is. deal. And I agree. He did that. He did. He doesn't get the credit for it very often, but he did. Um, now, oddest habit he has is that he writes on a lap board. Hmm. That doesn't seem too odd to me. I, I know, like, uh, George Perez, like, draws on a lap board. And maybe, he puts out amazing maybe he, work. You know? Maybe he could write for <laughs> Teen Bag. <laughs> he might be able to write for Teen Bag. You know, I, I said I said if that magazine is still there. I've seen it there, like, three times already. And if it's there the next time I'm there, I'll, I'll pick the damn thing <laughs> up and I'll share pictures of uh, – of, I, I, and I think there's, like, a Dukes of Hazzard uh, pinup or something in it. But, uh, oh, boy. <laughs> uh, Jim Shooter, he lists his biggest influences as Stan Lee, Mort Weisinger, and Mark Twain. Now, his greatest unfulfilled ambition is to write a story that he's happy with, which tells me that nobody was happy with Avengers 200 then. Because <laughs> I, f- I figured at least he'd be happy with it, but he just said he wasn't happy with anything. Everybody else hated it, so I guess everybody on the planet hated Avengers number 200. Uh, now, the worst part of his job is that he can't do it as well as he wants to. When He's no- talking about the new universe there, folks. I think so. Now, when nobody's looking, he juggles. He practices juggling. I don't know if that's something you need to, like, hide from other people. but uh, I, I think that is uh, – he means juggling his staff out the door. <laughs> that's what he's talking about there. <laughs> Editors no. didn't last long under his reign of tyranny. That's true. Now, one thing he really wants the world to know about him is, well, actually, he doesn't care what they know about him, and he doesn't care what they think about him either, so long that they know that he did what was right. Oh, dear. So that's, that's that's the uh, the ins and outs of on Jim Shooter, circa 1987. Uh, we got some notables from Marvel from the almighty Marvel checklist, including Strike Force Moritori that has no blurb. Oh, it, just on, says, man. it just says Strike Force Moratorium number nine. Uh, Alpha Flight, your favorite book, issue number 49. It hold, pits hold, them. Hold on. 
Okay. Oh, keep going. Keep going. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit about Alpha Flight. There you go. Move on, Chris. Well, this one has them versus their most deadly adversary, Omega. Ooh, who mm-hmm. cares? <laughs> now, Captain America issue 332 features Steve Rogers resigning as Cap, which uh, seemed to happen every time somebody was in power that the writers didn't like. So... There you go. Wolverine guest stars in Web of Spider-Man number 29. Punisher number two of the ongoing series says, out to destroy the South American crack connection. <laughs> you got to battle those crackheads. Yeah, was South American crack connection sounds like a really good tag team. You know, <laughs> yeah, you have the you have the Midnight Express versus the South American crack connection. <laughs> but uh, Rick Martel, Tom Zink, <laughs> the South American crack connection. <laughs> no, if that's not enough crack for you, you pop on over to Power Pack number 31, where Alex sets out to destroy a crack house. God bless a lot, of, a lot of crack in that. I mean, I just finished up a, a wild dog story in Action Comics Weekly where uh it's all about burning up crack houses. It was a big deal back in uh, 87, 88. So uh, that's just a little bit of the Zeitgeist or Zeitgeist or however you say it. Now, as we, those are the notables here. The other ones really don't have uh, have much in the way of blurbs because of uh, the tremendous amount of space that they used for the bullpen bulletins and the profile. So we uh, don't have a whole heck of a lot more. Uh, but we do have a letters page the first oh letters page so uh, i mean we're nine issues in nine months into the run and this is the first time we're getting any sort of uh you know feedback on uh, on what people think the man on the street the man and woman on the street think about strike force murray turry and uh the letters page is titled mail strike it is curated by editor carl potts and the uncredited assistant editor joanne spaldo now, the first letter comes to us from Uncle I in North Hollywood. And he says, Dear Peter, Brent, Scott, and Carl, science fiction, superheroes, the former creating the latter. Good story, good art, good concept. Thank you. The editor Boy, says. That was brief. Wasn't it? It was very, uh, very, uh, it was, I, I didn't know if it was like in haiku. Like, is it is like five <laughs> or something? I didn't know here. But the editor enjoyed it. He says, good letter. Thank you. Um, now, that's the only one we're going to read, you know, verbatim because it's so short. Uh, our second letter comes from Frank in Memphis. Now, he says that this is the best new title out of Marvel in a while, and he hopes that it has a good long run. He suggests naming the letters column, We Who Are about who We who are Compelled to Write. Mm, I like that. Not yeah, bad. why not? He loves the characters, and he's happy that they're being portrayed as people above all else. So they're not just weapons. They're not just, you know, empty suits. They're actually people, and that's uh, something too. we enjoy, too. Yeah. Now the editor thinks it's ironic that uh, that our that our man Frank here wants this title to have a long life, considering you know the process and people die all uh, the time. That's actually uh, a good point. It is. Uh, the editor also mentions that letters pages will be squeezed in only when there's room for one, uh, which uh, oh my, yes. AKA we're we ain't getting no mail. Yeah, it's gonna be a good minute before we get another letters page, so uh, we better uh, enjoy it while it's here. Uh, our third letter comes from Richard in Richmond, and he, like the like the fellow before, says this is one of the best series he's read to date. He says, quote, the idea of the Strike Force Murray Turry using a comic book, The Last Stand of the Black Watch, as a propaganda tool to get recruits is intriguing. And absolutely is. Absolutely is. 
Uh, he laments the fact that Strikeforce Morituri isn't part of the direct market epic line because he feels like it would have better production value, better pay, better paper, better, uh, you know, the stock and all that good stuff, better coloring. And to that we say, uh, be careful what you wish for there, Richie, because <laughs> when this goes direct market, uh, well, we'll we'll all experience that together. Uh, it's That's the uh, shark jumping moment, I think, perhaps. <laughs> Now, uh, he suggests that there be a Strike Force Morituri fan club that comes with posters, patches, and buttons. And uh, to that, we say, hey, Richard, if uh, if you're listening, well, we've got a club you can join. Uh, just <laughs> hit us up and we will uh, we'll get you into that Strike Force uh, fan club there. Uh, we don't have uh, we don't have patches yet or buttons, but uh, we'll help you out. Um, now, he cautions the creators against treating death too casually. He says he doesn't want this to become just another cliche kamikaze team to which we say, are there any others? I mean, where, what, what, what cliche kamikaze teams is he reading? <laughs> Clearly he's not reading strike force moratory, but I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. I mean, are there, are there just like team team comics out there where they're just killing themselves? I, I just don't, I don't know how cliche that is, but, uh, uh, now, the editor assures Richard that death will be treated with the proper respect. And uh, we got to say, thus far, they are true to their word. We've lost Absolutely. two, and they've been they've been treated with respect. Um, letter number four from Michael in Montgomery. He's read Strikeforce Moritori number one three times in a row. Ooh, he's trying to beat Harold's record for the <laughs> Tales of the Black Watch. <laughs> Needless to say, he loves it. And our final letter comes from Jeff in Aurora. And Ooh. he likes the book too. So there's uh there's our first mail strike. And, uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean everybody's uh everybody's on board, everybody's digging it, and everybody is uh pretty much on the same page. So that's a that's a cool thing, right? It is. Now uh the only thing left for this book are the ads. And uh really there are only a couple that we haven't already talked about. Marvel wasn't really moving the ad space, I guess, here. Uh Jim Shooter was busy juggling. Um, so <laughs> unless you really want us to talk more about like rainbow kites, uh, we can just cover the, the two that are here. The first one, Time Machine. Oh, I love this book. These series of books. My <laughs> God, I am a huge choose your own adventure fan as a kid, man. Like when you talk about if someone asked me what my favorite you know, class was in school. I would always say library. I loved library time so I could get my hands on choose your own adventure. And, you know, I, I dug those for so long, man. I, you know, my favorites were like the underground kingdom and the cave of time. Like I reread okay. those over and over. And then my friend Trevor brought back and it was from a trip to Europe and he brought back time machine. I was blown away, Chris. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Oh my God, this is 10 times better than, uh, then choose your own adventure was more like had more of a adult theme to it than a, you know, a simple kids book. I, I had uh, search for dinosaurs and sword of the samurai. And these things were awesome. And of course you actually like viciously died in these books. So really, <laughs> really, really, really dug, really, really dug those. Uh, you know, I was heavy into books. I love library. So, I mean, I was into, you know, the Hardy boys, you know, my mm -hmm. while the clock ticked and the secrets of pirates cove and anything that, you know, you had boys investigating stuff. Wait, that sounds weird. Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, you, the th um, you know, he had Alfred Hitchcock's The Three Investigators and another one. And I don't know if you guys ever got this in, uh, you know, in the U.S. of A, but Danny Dunn, 
So it, he was like a boy detective as well. So, you know. I don't know. Yeah. 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 So it was all in those line. But, man, I enjoyed time, anything to do with time travel. I mean, when it comes to movies, books, comics, I'm all over that. So Time Machine spoke to me, man. I loved it. This I, I this is the first time I'm hearing about this, but to be fair, I I only I I, I liked going to the library, but I, I you know books without pictures in it are, are were never really my uh, my scene growing up. I uh, if it wasn't a comic or an issue in Nintendo Power, I was kind of just out of it. I didn't really pay attention. But the one thing that like really struck me about this ad here is that it's it's almost like a like a classified ad it's like uh, it says wanted kids brave and resourceful enough to become time travelers yeah that was it actually looks like a real like recruitment drive it does and it reminded me and i sent you this picture earlier in the week of uh safety not guaranteed the uh this it's like a picture like an ad in a newspaper here and it's got like this dude with like the this crazy mullet He's got like a flat top and a mullet at the same time, and he's kind of looking at the camera like cross-eyed in a way. Straight, and, straight eighties. Oh, totally. And it says, uh, "It says wanted someone to go back in time with me. This is not a joke." Then it gives an address, and it says, "You'll get paid after we get back. Must bring your own weapons. Safety not guaranteed. I've only done this once before." <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> this this dude became like like internet lore this um just this image here and i i think they even like made a movie about it what? i i think they made a movie about it i i don't know for sure i could have sw- unless it was just like a like a i know the guy who does the uh who's that guy who like the movie voice guy you know the inner world guy in a world he, that in guy a yeah. I, I, I can't remember his because name because he did a uh he did a like a reading of that line there of the of the safety not guaranteed as though it was going to be a movie i don't know if that was just a gag or if they actually made a movie about it but just seeing this ad here just made me picture that that mullet-headed fellow and uh crack me up a little bit but uh <laughs> i never i never uh I, I think I had a bunch of Hardy Boys books, um, but I don't think I ever read them. I think they were just uh, too many words and not enough pictures, I guess. Yep. It's just the, the stories of Frank, Joe, and Chet, their best friend. Yes, Chet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Another ad we have here is a movie ad for House 2, the second story. Yes. And, and yeah. this one features the other guy from Cheers, because I think Norm was in the first one and Cliff is in the second one or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Retzenberger. The, that guy, uh, that guy. Yeah, the guy from Toy Story and all that stuff. So House 1, holy mm. cow, with Richard Mall and the guy from The Greatest American Hero, Richard Katz, I think his name is. Fantastic movie. Holy ding dong. You know, all about this house and, you know, you can go into different realms and it's it's haunted with an interdimensional force. And, oh, my God, so good. House 2. Wow. Like you talk about missing the mark. <laughs> oh, my God. This is one of those movies where you're like, nobody can say the sequel was any better or within the hemisphere. This gives sequels bad names. Oh boy. Holy crap. This makes Superman like Superman four look like gold in the box office. <laughs> this was trash. Now I love horror movies, man. Well, back as a kid I did. Not so much like in the, the new generation of like dead kids horror from, you know, it wells and like butchering and you know, the yeah. shock horror movies, you know what I mean? Like basically like you know, murder porn basically is what they are, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're crap. But you know, sleepaway camp and the lost boys and I remember renting 
and, and now we only had you know a furniture store that rented yes. movies at the time but one of my uh one of my friends and i went up there one day and we're looking at some movies and you could tell the lady behind the counter wasn't paying attention to whatever we were throwing up in that counter so in amongst you know a couple of cartoon videos we tossed up friday the 13th in amongst it and sure enough she didn't even realize she just wow. selected the videotape passed it out and we ran like bandits <laughs> from that store <laughs> Now, we got home, we stuck this movie on, and uh, we didn't realize how absolutely and utterly terrified we would be (laughs) watching this. We went from watching, like, Transformers on family home entertainment videos to people getting bludgeoned (laughs) with axes (laughs) and tits going everywhere. And I mean, it was like, oh, my Lord. This literally haunted me for... Well into a decade when I saw this thing, it was absolutely wretchedly terrifying as a kid. So I'm over it now, but boy, therapy (laughs) is expensive. You know, I I was such a scared kid that, uh, and we've talked about this before. Like even just the commercials were enough for me. Oh yeah, you know the 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 weird disembodied voice just explaining what was going to happen. That was just enough, and I. You know, growing up, I, you know, the only thing that scares me now is like the tax man. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> the uh, he's the only guy who scares me. But uh, back then, oh, everything, every it could have just like, been. It didn't even have to be a horror movie, and it would have. Like scared you said, me. the voice, the voice, the setup oh. voice of these commercials. I mean, it wasn't even like that deep voice guy, like in a time, yeah. in a place. Like it was like up next, Stephen King's horror movie, oh, Carrie. Yeah. Bah, 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 bah. And I was like this old newscaster back in the day. See, you'll never get me, Kappa. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those. It's this weird, like, just stone voice. Very unsettling. Really yes, yeah, it is very for unsettling. Sure. Yeah. And like I, I, I wasn't just scared of scary movies. So like I think, oh, it was a John Candy movie my parents rented. Ah oh, man, I think it was Who's Harry Crumb or Where's Harry Crumb? Oh yes, yep, yep. And there was like a little subplot in that, or it might have been about the whole movie, but it's been like twenty, thirty years since I've seen it. But somebody gets kidnapped in it. Yes. And that haunted me for years. Oh yeah, Just that's a the, pretty blunt scene. I mean, that's with uh, with uh, John Candy. Okay, okay, so I am thinking of the right one then. Okay. Yeah. There was just this kidnapping, and it just scared me to death. Uh, Every night, I was petrified that I was going to wake up somewhere else. You know, like I was going to be kidnapped, as if anybody would want me. I mean, I. But 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 this podcast would never exist. There you go. I always got scared of kidnapping, and uh, there was a TV show. Oh, China Beach. You ever, you ever see China why, Beach? Why are you watching China Beach, Chris? Why? So much other stuff for us. Okay, very good. <laughs> and it was a, it's a Vietnam War. Uh, like It's kind of like a mash, but not funny, of course. And uh, it's during Vietnam instead of the Korean War. And there was a special episode of it where it was kind of like a documentary where they talked to actual Vietnam veterans. And uh, one of the things that they talked about and that came up in conversation a lot was the draft. And I didn't know what the draft was. So I asked my mother what the draft was. And she says, oh, it's when they pick you to go to war. Dude, I crap my pants. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you right now. So I've never been so happy to live in Canada. (laughs) I'm thinking like and and like, you know, you're like you you learn never to wish your life away. But I'm thinking like, okay, well, well, from when when I'm 18 to when I'm 30, I could be drafted. So I I just want to get past that. You know, once I'm (laughs) once I'm past that, I'll be okay because I was just petrified that uh, I would be kidnapped, and then by the time I was found, I'd be drafted into war. 
<laughs> and uh, and it didn't help that like the Gulf War started right around like a, like a year later. Boy, oh boy. And the first thing they start talking about on the news is transcription and drafts and uh, that that's the kind of stuff that scared me. So I didn't. I mean, Jason would have been like a, a relief probably uh, at, at all the <laughs> the weird crap that I had going on in my head. But uh, yeah, I was scared of everything as a kid. So the uh, the horror movies here and even just the I mean, this is I'm looking at this ad for House Two and it's the stupidest looking thing in the world. But yeah, I bet horrible. you. I bet you when I was like eight or nine years old, it would have just – my mind would have raced with possibilities of what they were looking at through this crack in the wall. And uh, it would have scared me. I would have scared myself with it, you know, half to death. But, uh, you know, it's just a, that's just a part of being a, a, a dumb kid, I guess. I don't know. But uh, that yeah. is uh, – that's everything in between the covers of this comic book. Oh, wait a second. We forgot one thing. What oh. a goof. We forgot something. <laughs> Now it's time, yep, ladies and gentlemen, after long last, you're damn right now. There's no, we cannot talk about Smarties unless we sing the Smarties jingle. You ready for this, Chris? The Smarties jingle? Yes. Here it is, the Smarties jingle for you and all the, all our wonderful listeners. When you eat your Smarties, do you eat the red ones last? Do you suck them very slowly or crunch them very fast? Eat that candy-coated chocolate. But tell me when I ask, when you eat your Smarties, do you eat the red ones last? And we will find that out right now, gosh damn it. (laughs) You are welcome. All right, so we have been talking about Canadian candy on this podcast for nine straight episodes, including Mm -hmm. this one. And today, we are going to bring the Canadian gladiator known as Smarties to the war. Not Smarties, not those little chalk-covered... Not the little wafer discs, yeah. Yeah, those little wafer discs you get in a Halloween treat at the bottom of your bag. No, no. (laughs) These are are the Canadian original. These are bigger than the M&Ms, and boy, they're ready to land a punch. Now, Mr. Chris Sheehan has offered to become the guinea pig in this war, mm-hmm. and he's going to do our official taste test. So why don't we set this up? You got you got your package of uh, am, your Smarties. Give him a shake I for us. Holding, yes, and it's got a red cap. All right. Now, do you have your M and M's? Mm-hmm. I do. Give, give him a shake. See, lame, lame bag, ass, yeah. lame ass, right away. <laughs> All right. So here we go. So let's talk. Let's. Let's break this down. Let's give this a fair, objective look. Yes. So take a, take a look at the packaging. So talk to me about M&M's. What are you seeing? I'm seeing a black bag. A black That's about bag. it. Is and, there anything it's, that's... Like, it's almost like it's like been vacuum sealed. It's kind of like pressed onto the candy. It's, it doesn't feel like it's a... Uh, doesn't feel very substantial. Gotcha. Now, take a look over over uh just north of that over <laughs> over to our northern <laughs> brother the canadian smarty now, now tell us about the packaging for smarties it's like a weird hexagon hexagonal tube of sorts here it's a uh, it's like a yeah it's a hexagon six sides it's a uh, harder it's cardboardy and it's got a uh, it's got a little like pop lid on one end hmm. so when it comes to packaging who's who's going to get the duke for packaging well, for which, packaging which, quality, I would say Smarties, but it makes it feel like there's less when I'm looking at a tube rather than a bag. The gotcha, bag gotcha. makes it look like there's a possibility of there being a lot in there, where a tube, I'm thinking like there's only a few. I could be completely wrong, but that's how it looks. Hmm, okay. So why don't we just go ahead and let's let's pop these things open. Pop open the M&Ms and pop open these Smarties. Let's take a look here. M&Ms open. 
and Smarties out. I gotta make sure I open the cap here. Oh, popped right open there. Okay. And it says, oh, I, I, this one comes with a uh, a bit of trivia here. It says, what can you look into to see your reflection? And there's an M on the uh, Smarty. When I open it up, it says a mirror. So, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> there you go. See, riddles and everything. So, okay, yeah. now, now that we got these things open, let's mm-hmm. compare it side by side. Let's have a physical look, product comparison here. So okay. what, what, are we, what are we looking at? So let's talk about M&Ms. What are you seeing in front of you? Okay, the M&M has an M on it, uh, but it looks a little flatter than the Smarty. The Smarty looks more, more uh, bulbous, more substantial. Yes. Now, what, 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 what color scheme are we seeing? What, what are we looking like Smarty-wise? They, let's see here. I pulled two out, and they're red and yellow. There's a purple, which is new. Uh, there's like a uh, the, the orange is a different orange than the M&M orange, so it's uh, more pastel. There you go. Yes, exactly. Good, good, good comparison. Mm-hmm. So physical look, just the sheer look of the candy. Who gets the Duke? Uh, you know, the pastels are novel to me, so I, I like that because it's new. I don't know if that's why I like it. If it's, I, I can't say if it's better or if it's just new, but uh, I'm going to go with the pastels for now. Okay. All right. All right. So let's go ahead and let's pop some of these M&Ms in here. Let's, let's take a taste test. Let's go. What do we, what do we see in here? It's an M&M. It's an M&M. So what what type of flavor are you getting? Are you getting in like a milk chocolatey sensation? How's the texture and the crunch? What are we what are we seeing? It's a flimsy shell, uh, just okay. as normal. And uh, you know the one thing about M&Ms is that the chocolate is a little bit waxy. Ah, there you go. Okay, yeah. okay. Now tell me what colors you have. Do you have a red Smarty? I was going to eat a red one first. Should That's I? That's what it I was going to say. You are going to break all the rules. <laughs> yes, you should eat the red because. Because in essence, the red is the 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 grand finale. So I want oh, you to I mean, take yes. I want you to take one now. How's the touch? How's it feeling in the hands there? It, it's not melting in my hand, so that's good. There you go. Okay, so yeah. it survived the uh, the Arizona heat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Why don't we just go ahead and let's get in close so we can hear the crunch on this thing. Go. Let's go. Oh yes, sir. You heard it here, folks. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the crunch. That's what we're known for here in Canada. Chris, tell me about this taste. It's different. It is different. Definitely. Two different tastes. Yeah. It. Uh, let me try another one here. I'm breaking my diet for this here. Let's see. It reminds me, this might sound completely weird, but when I bake cookies, the chocolate taste in that yes. is kind of what I'm getting here. Because it's true milk chocolate. See that? Mm. Yeah, this now, is good. Now, we've waited all this time. We waited nine episodes for this. Chris, <laughs> she- Chris Sheehan, <laughs> tell us who wins the taste test. The all nothing matters. Oh, man, only I, the I don't taste know if I, I might be deported. Um, <laughs> I'm 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 going for my passport in, in in a couple months. I don't know if they'll <laughs> let me have one now. Um, no, the uh, the Smarties are actually very very good. Um, they're they're really good. Uh, surprise! I'm not surprised, but I mean uh, at the same time, I'm they they are very different from M&M. Yeah, it's it's two it's um, literally two different candies, even though they it is. they stack they up just look, each other. Yeah. They just look the same. Yeah. Um, no, it's very very good. Um, I wish that they had wider availability, and I didn't have to drive for an hour to get them. But uh, <laughs> but then again, I am on a diet, so that uh, is probably a good thing. 
not because it would be dangerous otherwise. But uh, no, no, the, the Smarties taste, they taste really good. They do taste really good. So let's wrap this thing up. So the winner of the Smarties versus M&M's challenges, Mr. Sheehan, I leave it to you. Whose side am I on? I'm on Smarty's side. Yeah, baby! That's right. I've been, <laughs> I've been telling everybody about the virtues of Smarties. Now, finally, Mr. Chris Sheehan has revealed to the world my <laughs> what I've been saying the entire time. You guys have been wasting way too much time on inferior candy. Come to Canada, come to Daddy, and get some real Canadian Smarties. There you go. There you go. Man, they don't even pay us, and we're we're just taunting this, <laughs> toting this candy. <laughs> we're gonna have to reach out. We need sponsorships oh. from uh, oh, man. the, this the has Nestle been a, folks here. <laughs> this has been a great show, man. Absolutely, I had a blast doing it here. But uh, I think that's all the time we'll take from you this week. Here, uh, we do apologize for missing last week, but uh, you know, hey, it's gonna happen every once in a while. That's why we say most Mondays. I love um, it. <laughs> But we are here now, and uh, well, we were here now, and now we're leaving. But uh, we hope you dug it. We hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we definitely welcome your feedback. You can reach us at Charlton underscore Hero and Ace Comics on Twitter. Uh, why don't you tell them where they can find your ramblings? Oh, they can find my retro ramblings over on the Superhero Satellite with a weird, crazy, <laughs> crazy URL from WordPress. Just throw <laughs> Superhero Satellite in the Google machine, and you'll find me. You can also find me here, of course, on this very podcast, Moratory Mondays, and occasionally over on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network with Mr. Uh, good old Mark Radlich and uh, Jesse Starcher and our boy, Mr. Chris Sheehan here, and we break mm-hmm. down some wrestling action. So, mm-hmm. and we will be doing Survivor Series a little bit, a uh, little bit down the road. So that should be a fun time. But I'd like to thank everybody for listening, and we will have more of this fun stuff and craziness next week. So Absolutely. I can see I can see by the time on the clock in the wall, Mr. Chris, that it's time to bid you one and all. So long. Farewell. I'll be the Shane. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening. We will uh, catch you again next time and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Oh wait, wait, see? let me do the see ya. Let me do it. Oh do it. Okay. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. Night. <laughs>